and you're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. It's good to have uh, my dad with us this morning. The right, the right honorable reverend uh, B.J. Walker. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege. And uh, his, uh, my, my stepmother, her sister, has um, been diagnosed with a serious case of brain tumor cancer. And they don't give her any days to live. So she's in Alabama, and he's here with us. So uh, be in prayer for her travels and for the health of her sister. And the Lord will give them strength and help and peace in a time like this. And uh, these are certainly uh, unusual times. Uh, we were, my dad and I were just sitting here talking about church and how things are so different right now and what will be the aftermath when this is all over and uh, what will be the, the state of the church, you know, uh, when, when COVID kind of disappears and we kind of feel like, okay, it's, it's safe to step into the water. And uh, In my 30-some years of life, I've never, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, you have, uh, you, know, you have, you have a, a, a national sh- uh, shutdown and a state shutdown and a local church shutdown and business shutdown, and, um, and then we have uh, uh, riots going on in the street and protests going on in the street, and then we have sands from the Sahara Desert you know, floating up in the atmosphere. And um, they're like, you know, what else can happen? You know, what else is going to happen? And so uh, these are definitely uh, unusual times. Uh, nevertheless, uh, none of this catches God by surprise. He, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly where we are. He knows, he knows uh, what the future holds. And, um, and so we can have peace in that and we can have confidence in that. Uh, we don't know uh, what tomorrow holds, but we know who already is there. And... Uh, so that brings a certain sense of, of, of confidence and peace in a time like this. Uh, he gives peace in the midst of the storm. And so, uh, so there's a song that says that he, he, sometimes he calms the storm and sometimes he calms the child. So uh, remember that also. I got a request from, uh, well, we all did, if you were, if you were watching um, on Facebook, that Laura is dealing with some, some pain, uh, Laura uh, Martin. So I ask us to pray for her and then David. Uh, David Starkey is in the hospital with uh, some serious breathing issues, and he's making progress. Uh, has to do with smoke and, and stuff that's in the atmosphere that uh, caused him to have a difficult time breathing. So, um, anyway, also also remember those of our church family. We finally have, uh, after several several weeks of, of not being touched by the by the virus, there's some in our church family who are dealing with uh, some of the virus, and uh, none of them are in the hospital. Thanks be to God. But um, they do have uh, sicknesses that are, you know, that go along with that, that virus. So uh, pray for a quick healing. They are getting better. Uh, and some are w- well past the point of, of being able to smell again, someone said. And so, uh, but anyway, this is the Sunday uh, after the 4th of July. And uh, I've never had a 4th of July like this. It was just, it's just different. And so... Um, uh, but this, this, the Sunday before or the Sunday after is always a, um, a particular, it's like any other thing in the, in the calendar. 
Uh, the 4th of July is, is not a, in the Christian calendar. It's, it's a very national kind of thing. Uh, but it is, it is in the consciousness and the awareness and the minds of, of everyone. And so I want to deal with it. I want to talk about it. And I, I think I have a word. It's a word I've never delivered before. It's, 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 um, it's a thought I've never, never I mean, I, I, I knew about it. I, I, I thought about it in the sense of it's over here, but not ever in a way that it kind of struck me this year. And so just bear with me. Some of this will be familiar with you. And, and uh, so just bear with me and listen. Uh, try to just listen and hear what, what the Spirit might say through a, just a, a, a very uh, humble and inept, it seems to me, uh, servant who would try to deliver a word that has been planted in my heart. So uh, I take it at that. Paul writes through the 2 Corinthians in the 3rd chapter in the 17th verse. He writes these words, and you'll know these. You can, you, you've memorized them. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... I heard one. Let's do it again. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I was really weak. I know there's just a, you know, a few of us in here, but I heard one voice right here on the front row. It sounded very familiar. Let's try one more time. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Woo! I heard, uh, I heard, uh, did you have a blue face, half white, half looking? Yes. So, so the, 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 uh, the extrapolation from that is, is where the Spirit of the Lord is not. Okay, now, now listen. Hear what the, what, what the, listen to the words. If where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. There are two sides of the same coin. Where the Spirit of the Lord is not, there is Chaos, blindness, binding, slavery, chains, darkness. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So that is, that's an axiomatic statement. It's just a fact of the matter. That's just the truth. The Lord, the Lord is a Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This would be something of that we should be able to celebrate. Uh, liberty and freedom from earliest times is the yearning of the human heart. From, from the most ancient of times, it, it is the yearning of the human soul to be free, to be at liberty. Anytime a people, wherever they are on the planet, they become under bondage, they become enslaved, their yearning is to be free and to be liberated. The very heart of the Christian message is that we can be set free from the chains of bondage of sin and of darkness. So if anybody understands that, we as the people of God should know that. I mean, that should just be part of our DNA, a part of our, our essence, a part of who we are as God's people. I mean, the whole story of biblical redemption out of the Old Testament is God delivering his people out of bondage. It is one of the hallmarks of, 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 the, of the Judaic story is the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And we should celebrate that. Now, we have an easy time of celebrating that for ourselves, but not necessarily so much for others. We celebrate that ourselves, and, and we embrace that. But I don't know that we celebrate the deliverance of others. And so um, I, I think maybe that might be something that we're, we're, we're maybe kind of not 
focused on or think about or it's not a part of our, of our, of our conscious thought. Jesus entered into the world to set us free. Now we know specifically he's talking about being set free from the bondage of sin and of death. For sure. But, 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 but the extrapolation from that is that to set us free, not to just have life, but to have abundant life, to be set free and to live as free people under God in a beautiful world which he has made. So to try to hear beyond the words I'm speaking and, and, and you who are listening online, please try to listen today. I, I really think I have something that might be, might be helpful, might be a new word, it might be a new dimension to words which you're familiar with. I, it's, it's Thomas Jefferson who is credited with penning these words. And you'll, you'll be very familiar with these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among them are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. These are inalienable rights. That means the government does not give them to you. They come from God. And that is, that is a whole new concept that emerged uh, uh, at that, in that era, in that time, because they were just coming out of, of, of Europe and the concept of, and not just Europe, but in Africa and in, in Asia, of the divine right of kings. The kings had the power of life and death, and their sons became kings, and their sons' sons, unless they were killed. So they, it was a whole new concept that our rights do not come from a king, our rights do not come from a government, but they come from God, and no one can take them away. So we should celebrate that, we should know that, we should embrace that, and that should be a part of our thinking. It is these very words, these very words, this electronic stuff, man, you got to pay attention to it. It'll, it'll shift on you, and it'll get dark, and then it'll change sides. Like I said, what, last week if I had a piece of paper, it wouldn't do that to me. So, okay, so now, let's, now I just read you those words. What words did I read, what words did I read to you? Oh, there you go. See, there it is. You have a cheat sheet. So right there it is. It is those very words. Now pay attention to me this morning. Uh, suck in some oxygen because what will happen is, is your, the synapses will stop firing and, and you'll start thinking about uh, breakfast, what you had or what you didn't have, and lunch, what you're going to have <clears throat> or what yet is need to be done on Monday. So try to hone in and listen. I, I'm, I'm trying to be brief. Just pray. Okay, so, so it is those words right there. Those words from that man, that, that uh, Martin Luther King in 1960 appealed to. It is those words that Martin Luther King, everybody know who Martin Luther King is? That Martin Luther King referenced in his famous speech, I Have a Dream, that he gave in Washington, D.C. in 1960 during the heights of the Civil Rights Movement. How many of you were alive during those days? Well, me too. Okay. I, I, I was alive. I was young. I was young. But I, I, but I remember I have, I have vivid memory, uh, images in my mind of, of some of the protests. So I was just a kid, but I, but I remember. And in his speech, he says, I have a dream. Uh, it, it was 1963 in, in Washington, D.C. In August, so it was blistering hot probably, even in Washington, D.C., and he said, it is deeply rooted in the American dream. 
I have a dream that is deeply rooted in the American dream. One embedded, a dream that is embedded in the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. And he said that the framers had uh, written a check and he had come to Washington to cash in that check. Okay, so, so, so hang on with me. Um, all right, so, so, so that's Martin Luther King. Now, you can hear his voice. I mean, I, I mean we could have played out, I have a dream. You know, so you, you got that, that man and that voice at that time, and he's appealing to, to uh, uh, the American government, to, to the American people, to... Uh, to recognize the status of African Americans as, as full citizens and as full creatures and as being uh, uh, human beings worthy of the Declaration of the Independent of, of Declaration of Independence, Frederick Douglass. How many of you know? You don't know him, but you know of Frederick Douglass. He is a historical figure. You you need to be familiar with him. He helps shape our our country and our our, our culture as we move forward into history. Um, his primary work, I probably have this, I don't have this exactly right, but it's somewhere between 1950 and 1960. I mean, I'm sorry, yes, I thank you. A, a, 1850 and 1860, the larger body of his written work is during that time period. And Frederick Douglass was a very articulate free slave. Um, he, um, well, he was a slave, but he became free, and he became a free man, and so he was very articulate. He would go to Europe, and he would give speeches. He was a very smart, a very smart man. And in his earlier years, in the early 1950s, he wrote scathing, scathing as a free man, he wrote scathing rebukes to, uh, to the American government and to the, to the Constitution and, and how that it was not living out to its promise. But as he matured in years and as he, as he lived and as he studied and as he, he was very articulate, you should read some of his writing, very articulate. It's hard for a, a, a contemporary person to read the language of those who wrote in the 1800s because their language and their style is so sophisticated and so nuanced that you have to really hang with them to understand what they're saying. But what he, and he has this beautiful analogy, and I think it's great. I think it bears repeating. He said that, that uh, uh, in his earlier years, he, he, he was kind of angry. He, he kind of lashed out. He had very scathing words, as I said. But as he matured and as he grew and as he studied and as he dialogued with others, he come to understand <clears throat> that the Constitution of the United States was a, was a magnificent document. And he said, some people, this is, this is, this is interesting uh, for a man to, to be able to dissect this in that era, that the Constitution was like, um, he said, there's the American government and there's the Constitution. They are not the same thing. They, they might be two sides of the same, but they're not the same thing. And he said, the Constitution, now speaking of Frederick Douglass, the Constitution is like a compass. The government are like those who hold the rudder and steer the ship. Now the compass is there. If they would read the compass, they could guide the ship forward in a proper direction. But they may not be paying attention to the compass. But the compass is still there and it's still working. But those who have hold of the other may not be reading it correctly. That's an important thing. The Constitution is so important, it, it, it shapes who we are, it should shape who we are, because it has been hewed out of, 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 of years of study and of, and of work and of sacrifice and of the greatest minds that were in, in our country at the time, 
and, and hewed out a, a whole new document that, that many throughout the world look to as a guide and as a light as they shape their own way and shape their own government and, and shape their own life as they move forward into the future. So it's important that those who have hold of the helm, those who, who steer the ship know the Constitution because from it, he saw that it was a tool. It was a tool that could be used to abolish slavery in the United States. So he made an appeal to it. Listen to this. You'll know this. It bears repeating on a day like today. The, the Constitution says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. And what uh, 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 um, Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther understood is that appealed to everyone. That addressed everyone, not just a certain segment of the population. Not just white people, but brown people and black people and red people. It applied to every human being, which the document says, which is why they appealed to it. But all men are created equal. Abraham Lincoln, how many have heard of Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln said this, the Constitution is a rebuke and a stumbling block to tyrants and to oppression. In his Gettysburg Address, but I had to memorize that when I was in school. It's a great, it's short, it's short. I was so glad, you know, we had to memorize stuff. When I saw that, it was just a, wasn't a long speech, and I was so glad because there were some things, some long things we had to memorize. They were much harder. I had to stay after school more than one day to memorize stuff. Not because I wanted to. It was part of the deal. But in his, in his Gettysburg Address, you'll recognize these words, four score and seven years ago. Now, that's not a long time between when, it, when, when the nation was birthed and when Lincoln is given this speech. That's not a long four score and seven years ago. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated, dedicated to this proposition. A proposition is a truth claim. It is a statement of fact. It is, it is an axiom. This is why, this is what we're dedicated to, that all men are created equal. So that statement, that statement continues to inspire people throughout the world. Now the events of the last several weeks have been traumatic. And it, 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 it shouts to us, if we're listening, that we still have work to do. We as a people are still working toward. And, and that shouldn't catch us by surprise. And there should, no be, should be no arrogance here. That we are still working toward a more perfect union. And until Jesus comes back will continue to be working toward a perfect union. You know why? Because we're imperfect people. We make, we make imperfect judgments. We make imperfect assessments of things. <clears throat> we, make partial under, we have partial understandings of certain things. And so, I mean, just think about it. If a church of just, you know, 150, 200 people can't be perfect, I mean, we're probably the only one. How in the world does anyone expect a nation of 300 million plus to get it exactly right. So we'll always be working on it. There'll always be brokenness because sin is in the, on, the, on the planet and is in the earth and is at work in the world today. Nevertheless, that is no excuse. 
Okay, so we have work to do, and this is what the scripture says. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. It teaches us this. Righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness is when the people do the right thing. Unrighteousness is when we do not do the right thing. It's not that complicated. And so when we as a people do not do the right thing, then we bring a reproach on ourselves and our land. Righteousness, doing the right thing. I won't belabor the point. I think you got it. So we cannot... We cannot expect to abide violations of God's instructions about life with impunity. I don't know if you heard that. How many of you heard that? We cannot expect that we can violate God's instructions about life with impunity. What it means is there's going to be a price to pay. When I disobeyed my dad, when I was a boy back at home, I knew there was a price to pay. I sometimes wasn't thinking about that at the time, but I was reminded later, you know? So there's a price to pay. Listen, the scripture says in Galatians chapter 1, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, do not be deceived. There's a lot of deception going on. Do not be deceived. God is not one to be mocked. As Alex Deasley, my professor of uh, New Testament theology, said, you cannot slide down the banister of life backwards and not expect to get splinters. There's a price to pay for ignoring God's instruction. It doesn't matter who you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, what status you have or don't have. If you do not follow God's instructions, either as an individual or as a people, there is a price to be paid. God cannot be mocked. The Hebrew prophet Hosea said, He that sows to the wind will reap the whirlwind. You reap what you sow. So be careful what you plant because you'll reap that thing. So you want to be careful. So, and I, I, I really, man, when I, write, when I typed this sentence out, I thought, do I really want to say that? But I have to say it. Because we need to be, we need to be shaken by it. So, and I, I, I waited over, I prayed it over, I thought about it. But see, the scripture says, the sins of the fathers are visited on their children and their children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Now, we shout at some of the words of the Lord. We don't so much shout at the other words of the Lord. Some of the words of the Lord we don't really like to think about. So it seems to me that the sin of slavery of our forefathers visits us continually. It visits us year after year, week after week, decade after decade. And, and, and it has not been solved. It has not been absolved. It has not been reconciled yet. We have to be closer than we were. That's my hope and that's my prayer. We have to be closer than we were. It is unfortunate that, um, that, that the, the, the consequences, it's just like, it's like, uh, like, like I thought, what, what is analogy? Analogy is like the, the Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, only Jesus can solve that. There is such, and that happened back with, with uh, in, in ancient times. This hostility continues to this present day, hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years later, thousands of years. And it still remains, this hostility. 
But there is a remedy. There, there is a remedy. And you know what the remedy is. You can quote this chapter in verse. You've probably seen it this year, probably, uh, I don't know, a hundred times. Second Chronicles 7.14. Second Chronicles 7.14. Let's, let's say it together. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will, hear their, I will heal their land. Now let me break that down. I don't have a lot of time. Is that serious? Okay. Well, fortunately, I only have a half a page to go. Listen, if my people... Now, now, I know that you know this, but I got to say it. He didn't say if the pagans will quit being pagans. He didn't say if the sinners will stop being sinners. The, 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 the decree is if my people, the ones who, call, who are called by my name, if my people... That's you and that's me. The ones who are called by my name will humble themselves. See, we don't want to do that. We want, we want to give a defense of why I don't need to humble myself. That's what we do. I, I, I don't need to repent. I don't need to be humble. I, don't, I, I haven't done any of that. I, that's not my problem. I didn't go there. I didn't do that. But the scripture says, if my people will humble themselves... <clears throat> not point out how everybody else is wrong. See, that's what we want to do. Well, if they'd do this, if they'd do that, if they'd stop this, if they'd stop that, then this. That's, that's not the word of the Lord. The Lord, the, the Lord said, if my people will humble themselves, and they will pray, and they will seek my face, and they will turn from their wicked ways. Sometimes we don't recognize our wicked ways. That's why we have prophets and teachers and pastors and evangelists to help us to see, to open our eyes that we might see our own way and see that maybe the way that we are doing things is not a correct way according to the kingdom of heaven. So here's this remedy. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, not call out the sins of everyone else, not justify where they are not guilty. And the reason I say that is this. As Americans, as Westerners, we're very individualistic. With Liberty and justice for all, for the individual, but there's also this collective and corporate nature of life. And the scripture bears this out. If you are a believer, now, now, now try to get some, let, let, wake back up. I promise I'm, I'm probably less than 10 minutes away from the end. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are a priest or a priestess. Now hear this again. Please hear this. If you are a believer, we talk about that. We say it, but we don't know what we're saying. The priesthood of all believers. Well, what does that mean? That means that, that you, you represent God to the world and the world to God. You represent God to the world. We kind of get that part. Not so much that we represent the world to God. Remember Moses? Remember Moses would go and he, he would... He wouldn't be involved in the idol worship. He wouldn't be involved in the murmuring. He wouldn't be involved in any of that stuff. But he would go to God for the people and said, look what we have done. Spare us. And he would include himself in his petition to God. Aaron would do the same thing. The prophets would do the same thing. And we kind of forget that. As, as followers of Jesus, 
We are priests and we carry the sins of the country. We, we, as Christ followers, bearing one another's burdens, we carry the sins of the country to God. And we, we take them on just like Jesus took them on. He was without sin and yet he bore in his body our sin. See, we have to do that as God's people, as God's priests. We have to say, Lord, we have sinned. This is what we have done. This is who we are. And that's why the Lord said, stop saying who you're not. Stop, quit being arrogant. Don't be like the, the Pharisee standing in the temple and say, Lord, I'm glad I'm not one of them. But the one that bowed his head and said, Lord, I'm not even worthy to look up. And Jesus said, which one do you think went home healed or justified? I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not one of those. I don't think God hears those kinds of prayers in the way that you would hope. Good gracious. i got to somehow bring this to an end. I've mentioned this before. When Jesus, it bears repeating. I've only said it once that I can remember. When Jesus taught us to pray, it's not in the prayer. It's how we understand it, but it's not what he said. He said, when you pray, prayer of Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, forgive us. He did not say my sin. He didn't say that. He said, forgive us our sin. See, the scriptures tells us, that, and we hear it, but we don't hear it. We interpret it through our own paradigm and through our own framework and our own assumption about things. Well, that's what he did. I didn't do it. But see, as a priest and as one who comes before God, as, as an intercessor, you bear that. Like my, my kids, I, I, I go before God as though I am one of them. You remember Job? Job made a sacrifice to God just in case. Not because he sinned. The Bible says he was perfect, a perfect man. But he sacrificed anyway just in case his children had sinned. You get that? See, that's the attitude. That's why I say you have to stay in an attitude of humility, not arrogance and not finger-wagging. That doesn't help and that doesn't save. Humility and prayer and grace, these kinds of things are redemptive. Paul didn't say, it was the fear of going to hell that I, I turned to God. That was probably part of the equation. I don't know that he, he didn't talk a whole lot about that. But he said it was the love of Christ that constrains me and pulls me on. So, all right, I got to stop. But I got to give you this. This is the main thing. But you can get it. And I get this from Dr. Tony Evans. How many of you know who Dr. Tony Evans is? Okay. See, I, I knew this scripture. From, from probably first grade, I, I was taught this. But I didn't get it. You know, there's things you've been taught all your life, and you, and you know the words, but you never got the concept. This, this is one of those times for me. And I'm past 30 years old. I've been in church all my life, and been to Bible college, and been to seminary, but this never dawned on me like it does now. Until I heard Tony say it, and it like smacked me upside the head. And he said, because I've used this very text, Hosea, 
Hosea, the prophet, the minor prophet, chapter 6 and verse 6. Listen to this. We know this, but we don't know this. For I desire mercy and not sacrifices. He's speaking for God. I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, what we want to do is bring burnt offerings. We want to bring burnt offerings because we can pull that off. We can just, we just go get a cow. I mean, it doesn't cost me anything. I mean, if, if you, it could cost you financial, I guess. But you bring a dove or a cow, whatever, a sheep, a lamb, and you, 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 you bring it and, and, and the, it pays the price. And I can go on in my own broken way. I can go on in my blindness. I can go on in my insensitivity. I can go on in my unawareness. But the lamb's dead. I did the righteous thing, God. See what I did? I made you a sacrifice. But I'm going to go out here and I'm going to swindle people. I'm going to look down on people. I'm going to have a faulty scale. I'm going to be rude to people, but I'm going to make my sacrifice. I'm going to do the righteous thing. I'm going to do See what I did? I did, I did a righteous thing. And the Lord said, I'm, I'm sick of that. I'm tired of your sacrifices. I'm tired of your coming to church. I'm tired of your singing. I'm tired of your worship services. Rend your heart. Let your heart be split. Don't rend your garment, that act of righteousness. I don't care about that. What I want to know is, is your heart rendered? Are you broken over the sins of the people? You come to God bearing the sins of your community and of your church and of your world and of your nation. I want you to act in loving kindness. And I want you to know me, not about me. So, let me bring this to a close, seriously. So it's time to repent. It's time to repent. And see, here's the deal. God tells us plainly what to do. But we're stubborn, and we're stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And so we just wait till it's all over. We wait till the storm passes by, and we carry on in our way. And nothing changes, and here comes the whirlwind again. So, any attitude, any way of being, any word, any internal atmosphere, any obstruction in my life, in my mind, that is an obstruction to the kingship of Jesus in my life. And to walk continually in a spirit of repentance and humility. In order to do that, restore the altar, the place of prayer and of praise and intercession. Restore the place of the word of God in your life. Restore the priority of holiness of heart and of life. You can't separate your life from holiness and how you live out your confession in the world. The spiritual injunction remains. You live a holy life because I am a holy God. Pray for a spiritual awakening in the nation. Seek reconciliation. The scripture says, as much as lies within you, live at peace with all and pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And who knows, as the prophet says, who knows but that the Lord will leave a blessing and not judgment. 
Who knows but that the Lord might move mightily in the land. Who knows? But in such a time of deep darkness and brokenness, the Lord might send a mighty revival instead. May it be so. May it be so. Lord Jesus, these are weighty times. Hey, reference the words of the scripture says, um, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you are found wanting. So now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today, while it's still day, let us pray. Let's call out. Let's humble ourselves to do the work of mercy and of humility. It's easy to point the finger at everybody and show how everybody's wrong. Very easy to do. There's a lot of wrong around. A lot of wrong all around us. But let the life of Jesus be lived in us. Say, well, that, that, <clears throat> that got him to a cross. He didn't deliver Israel from Rome. Nope, he didn't. In fact, Jerusalem was utterly destroyed just about 40 years later. If we don't call out people's sins and brokenness, it will destroy America. Yep. It will very well and can very likely do that. But far better to live the life of Jesus. Because we are people of the kingdom. So help us, Lord. Our words are always wanting. Our words are always lacking in full description. So you have to take the words and break them open. They're so insufficient to feed like two pieces of fish and a loaf of bread. It's insufficient for the moment. But if you'll get a hold of them, and you break them, and you bust them, and you apply it to hearts, you can do things that we can't do if we simply do the things you've asked us to do. So hear our prayer as we pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand and we'll give a blessing. Father, we give thanks to you that you continue to work you continue to lead and you continue to guide. As the hymn says, lead on, O King eternal. And a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Help us to be on your side, listening to you, following you every step of the way. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.